Good morning, Mendocino County and beyond. You are listening to Wild Oak Living, the program about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. Today, I'm going to share two topics with you. We're going to start out by talking with Charlie Seltzer, and he's going to share information with us about a program called Healthy Living with Chronic Pain. And then we will be joined by Megan Barbara Allende and Meredith DeLucia from the Community Foundation of Mendocino County. And they're going to give us an update on what the Community Foundation has been doing, especially in the support that they provided to the community during the pandemic. They'll talk about the new annual report that's about to be published. And also they will talk about upcoming programs. So stay tuned for all of that. We'll be right back. Welcome to Wild Oak Living, Charlie Seltzer. Thank you for joining us today to talk about the program Healthy Living with Chronic Pain. I would like to start out by asking you, give us a bit of a snapshot about the program. We're going to talk about it more in detail as we go along um, and how you got involved with it and why you got involved with it. Um, I used to work for the county's public health department. And this program started out as a component of um, the prevention program at public health department. And um, I was intrigued by it, but I was like a, a month away from retiring. So I didn't get too interested in it because I didn't want to open a door that I would then have to close in a month. But as soon as I retired, I think within a month of retiring, the county um, hosted a training program, training people to become certified to offer this program with trainer, trainers coming directly from Stanford University Medical School, who are the people who developed this uh, training program. So I took it and I became a certified teacher of healthier living, uh, first with chronic health conditions. And then um, a couple of years later, they offered a follow-up training for people who did the first training devoted to helping people live with chronic pain. And I have been offering both of those classes with my co-teacher, Susan Ira, for oh, a dozen years by now. And why I like to do this, I have a very, very dear friend who's in severe chronic pain. And I thought that if I could learn something about helping people live with chronic pain, I, may, I might be able to help my, my very dear friend with his chronic pain. And as I got more involved in the do, doing the work, I realized that there are lots of people in our communities who live with chronic pain on a daily basis, anywhere from annoying levels of chronic pain to severe chronic pain. I asked my very good friend one day, on a scale of one to 10, where's your chronic pain? And he said, my chronic pain scale starts at 11. And I thought, oh my, all right, I got it. Um, so that's how I got involved and that's why I stay involved. I wanna help people. What kind of results have you been seeing? What are, what are people saying who go through the program? Most people say that life gets a little bit easier. Nobody says that the chronic pain goes away. If we could do that, you know, we, we, we could be gazillionaires. But if, if we can help people just have an easier time managing their chronic pain 
and realizing things that they can do on just a very practical day-to-day level in, in terms of things like changing diet, changing the kinds of things that we think, in, you know, what, what we say to ourselves that might be contributing to our pain and what could we be saying to ourselves that might help to reduce our chronic pain. Um, those things actually work and they help people just live with chronic pain a, a little bit easier with, with less uh, grasping or less desperation or hopelessness. And if you can reduce a person's hopelessness or their sense of despair, you've, you've done great work in the world. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. I should say full disclosure, I have taken the workshop twice. I consider it a really valuable experience. Not only what I've learned, but also the, the social and personal connection that it's given me with both you and Susan and with the participants in the workshop. I think discovering that you are in community and discovering not only that others share what you're going through, but that others are worse off than you are. And they're still going through life with courage and dedication and empathy. That was a really, really eye-opening and valuable experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about the components of the workshop. How long does it take? How much time? And, and what are some yeah. of the that people will learn? The class meets six times, once a week for six weeks. And it meets for two and a half hours each time. So altogether, it's 15 hours of class, and we do it online. So nobody has to leave their house. You can do this uh, from the comfort of your home. We've had people do the class uh, lying in bed in their pajamas because it's just too much effort to get out of bed. And we've had people who sit in their backyards and do it. We've had people do it from their cars. You know, you can do this, you know, once you have a digital connection, you can take this class from wherever you are. We've had people take it from out of county and out of state, um, but it's really designed to be a, a class for Mendocino County residents, although we welcome anybody who wants any kind of assistance learning to live with whatever level of chronic pain they have. And so you can we do it can, on your phone, on yeah, your smartphone. Yeah. yeah, you can do it on your phone. Absolutely. Um, one of the, the basic principles that we teach about is that many people who are in chronic pain, they tend to think that every bad thing that happens to them is a result of their being in chronic pain. Whereas chronic pain is only one aspect of a person's life. And there are many things that can contribute to it. And these things that contribute can function sort of like a web. The different symptoms that are part of this web reinforce and anchor one another. Let me give you an example. Let's say I didn't sleep well last night. Maybe I was in pain, so I didn't sleep well last night. So I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm tired. And because I'm tired, I think today is going to be a really terrible day. I don't have the energy to get through the day. It's going to be off. Thinking that thought causes stress. The stress makes me tighten my muscles. I don't want to do any activity that day because I know it's just going to hurt me. And not doing anything 
makes me not sleep well the next night because I didn't exercise at all. And then not sleeping makes me feel tired the next morning, which makes me feel depressed. And I think it's gonna be a terrible day again. So the thing that was real in all of this was the pain. The rest of all of that were reactions to the pain. And then all of those reactions reinforce each other. So the stress reinforces the tightness in the muscles. The tightness in the muscles contributes to the lack of sleep. The lack of sleep contributes to the sense of fatigue and tiredness the next day. So we teach that as a model. We call it the symptom web. It's a web of interlocking symptoms that are related to chronic pain. And then we teach a series of tools. Um, and if, if you can visualize a web, you can think of the tools as tools that help to release the tension on the strands that connect the different points on the web. So the web gets a little bit looser and it doesn't tug at us quite so much. So the tools are things like how to set goals that are achievable, realistic, actually doable within a week's timeframe, because that's what we do. We set weekly goals and then we check in about those weekly goals at the start of the next class. Um, we teach a very simple model for how to solve problems. People with chronic pain have problems, just like people who are not in chronic pain have problems. We all have problems. So learning a simple way to solve problems, also to make decisions are covered in the class. We talk about pacing and planning your activities. Um, I am not a person with chronic pain, but I have found this section of the class that how to pace myself through my day has become increasingly useful to me as I age. I'm 72 now, I started teaching this at 62 and I'm now 10 years older and I don't have the energy I had 10 years ago. So it's important for me to learn how to pace and plan what I'm gonna do in the course of a day. I don't always follow my own plan, but I start the day with a plan. So it gives me a sense of what are the most important things I want to accomplish that day? What could I put off till tomorrow? It gives me a roadmap. I don't try to anchor myself to it too forcefully, but I do try to follow it. When do you need to take breaks? I think that's an important part of pacing. Yes. To plan your right. breaks. Right. Plan breaks, plan when I'm going to have a meal. If standing up at the kitchen counter to prepare a meal is a challenge, and you have a good day, you could cut up all the vegetables you need for the next three days, and you've already got them. That's a way to plan doing things when you feel good that you can then use when you're not feeling so good. So that's all part of pacing and planning. We talk about um, how to do physical activity in a way that doesn't add to a person's chronic pain. And in fact, we teach a very simple exercise program that lots of people have, who have taken the class use on a daily basis. It's designed to be safe um, for just about everybody. I don't know anybody who ever hurt themselves doing this, uh, we call it the Moving Easy program. 
it's got some, uh, it's mostly stretching, but it has some strengthening exercises in it as well. We talk about how to get a good night's sleep, how to eat healthy. We teach people how to read a food label because a lot of people have no idea about what to do with all of that nutritional information on the label of canned and packaged goods. We teach communication skills. Um, it can be really useful to be able to communicate with the people you love about your chronic pain and what you are capable of doing, what you're not capable of doing, and how that might change on a day-to-day -day or even hour-by-hour -hour basis. Um, we also teach people how to communicate with their doctors because a lot of people go into doctor's offices scared, anxious, intimidated by the white lab coat and, and their knowledge and expertise. And we don't really know how to engage them as partners. We often, we tend to just, you know, we listen to what they say and we absorb what we can of it and then try to do what they say and maybe we succeed or maybe we don't. We talk about medication from, um, you know, over-the-counter stuff to the serious opioids. In fact, that's, uh, let me say a word about opioids. It's really hard these days for doctors to justify giving opioids to their patients who are in chronic pain. So one of the pain doctors in Ukiah has been referring lots of their clients to us. So we've been having this large number of people um, inquiring about our classes, all of whom um, probably were taking opioids at one point, but aren't anymore. So those are some of the things that we, we covered in the class. One of the things um, that I wanted you to address is this class, you talked about how it can help people who are living with chronic pain conditions, but it's it's also could also be a, a useful class for caregivers or friends or family members, right? Can you talk a bit yeah. about that? Sure. This next class that we're going to be offering starting October 17, we have a woman who works at Indian Health Services in Laytonville. And she wants to take the class because she works, she's got patients in chronic pain, and she wants to know what this curriculum is like so she can help her patients. We've had husband and wife couples take the class, one of whom is in chronic pain, the other isn't, because the chronic pain became sort of an element in their relationship, and it was getting in the way of their intimacy. So the one without chronic pain wanted to learn more about what their partner with chronic pain was going through, but not hear it from the partner, hear it from sort of neutral outside people, me and Susan, you know, as co-teachers and ways to deal with chronic pain that she could then use in her relationship with her husband. One of the things I also wanted to address is somebody might be in a situation where they're wondering, well, you know, I have occasional pain, but it's really not that bad. And you know, maybe I, maybe it doesn't qualify for being taken seriously enough to address it by, by being in a workshop like that. I just want you to maybe offer a few words of encouragement that even somebody who has occasional recurring pain, you know, that can still severely impact your life and being aware of that, being aware of how it can impact your life could be pretty important. Yeah, you know, this is a class for people in chronic pain. It's it's not about 
it's on it's not just for people in severe chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Chronic pain just means, you know, more or less all the time. But it could be mild pain that you deal with on a daily basis as well. And lots of people have they're in chronic pain, but the level of pain changes from day to day. And there are days when they don't feel like they're in pain very much at all, followed by days in which they do feel pain. You know, you could argue that that's really intermittent pain, not chronic pain. But uh, personally, I don't care. You're welcome to be in the class because the things that you will learn will be useful to you on the days that the pain increases and also useful for you on the days when you don't feel very much pain. Those are the days in which you can plan and get work done that you need to get done that you might not be able to get done on the days that you're feeling more pain. So again, if if you're a person whose pain is intermittent, the pacing and the planning element of how to deal with chronic pain could become very, very useful to you. One of the components in, in the program, and there are many interesting ones that we could talk about, but I just wanted to mention uh, relaxation techniques. That's, a, I think, a really important aspect when you are living with pain because pain tends to make you tense up and tends to make right. you stiff and tends to make you hold your muscles in ways that, that aren't relaxed. And so talk right. about, I, I was particularly interested uh, where distraction Right. How powerful our mind is in either reinforcing our pain or distracting us from our pain. Right. Well, let me talk about distraction. Then we can talk about relaxation. Mm -hmm. We do this very fun exercise uh, very early in the class series. I think we do this in class one, where we invite people to imagine that they're holding a slice of lemon. And they, they bring the imaginary slice of lemon up to their nose and they take a sniff and then they put it in their mouth and they take a bite. The whole thing lasts 30 seconds. And then we ask people questions about the imaginary lemon. And you know, how many, how many of you could feel the lemon in your hand? People, you know, you can feel the the, the sort of bumpy texture of the lemon rind. And people report, yes, I can smell it. And people report, I was salivating from this imaginary lemon when it entered my mouth. So we talk about that's the power of our mind to create sensation out of imagination. So imagine if we could put that same ability to work dealing with our pain. If we can, if we can salivate over an imaginary lemon, then we can learn to deal with real physical pain. So we do other kinds. That, that, that's just su- such a um, it's so, such an obvious example of the power of our mind. But we also do things. We do other kinds of exercises, like imagine a flower for every letter of the alphabet, or the name of a friend or relative for every letter of, of the alphabet. And when you put your mind to a task like that, it's harder to also be putting your mind on your pain. One of the things we say in the class is that your mind is like a radio. It can really only tune into one station at a time. And if you try to go in between stations, you don't hear either one of them and you get static. So if your mind is focused on your pain, one of the very simple tools that you can use 
is to distract yourself from the pain by thinking about something else. We have suggested to people that they play imaginary baseball games in their head. I'm, I'm a musician. I sometimes will think about a piece of music that I like to play on the piano, and I will imagine my fingers actually moving. And I'm amazed at how whatever I was thinking before goes away when I substitute a, dist a distraction from that thought that I don't want to think or the pain that I don't want to feel. And we invite people to come up with distractions that work for them. Sometimes it's an activity. Sometimes we've had people who like to knit or, or garden or go for walks, um, play with their grandchildren. All of those things are distractions from pain. But we also point out that you don't want to distract yourself while you're doing something dangerous. Like you don't want to distract yourself while you're driving a car or operating heavy machinery. Um, and you don't want to try to distract yourself for too long at a time, or you just might not pay attention to you know, the situations that you get in, which could be potentially dangerous. So distractions are for short term. Like if you live with stairs and you know you've got to go up the stairs and you know that's going to hurt, you could think of each step you take is the first line of a song. And each step you just come up with another first line of a song and then another first line and another. And before you know it, you're at the top of the stairs, hopefully in less pain than you would have been had you not done this. We have about four minutes left for this interview. And wow. I, wanted to, I know time just flies when you're it having did fun. Fly. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, talk a bit about what's coming up and how people can get in touch and, and, sure. and, and sign up for the workshop. Yep. So we have a class that's starting on October 17th. If anyone is interested, they can phone me. I am Charlie Seltzer. My number is 707-472-7640. And I'll repeat that again in a bit. And you can just phone me and say you're interested. Um, if you give me your email address when you phone, I'll send you a flyer with all of the information about the class. And then if you're interested, you phone me back and say, I'd like to take the class. And I'll ask you a bunch of questions about your health. We, we are asked to take, to, to do a survey, to gather some information about the health of the people who are in the class. And that information is coded, names are left off, everybody gets a sort of unique identifier number, and it gets uh, passed on to Stanford, which although they've been doing this for, you know, I don't know, at least 20 years, they still collect research on the participants who take it. And then we ask you to do the same kind of survey at the end under the same unique identifier number so that we have a before and an after for each person. So again, my name is Charlie and my number is 707-472-7640. By the way, the class is free. We don't charge a thing for it. And um, along with the class, um, every participant gets a book, which is called Living a Healthy Life with Chronic Pain. Uh, the book is also free. Um, you don't have to take the class to get the book. You, could, you can find it online. It's published by Bull Publishing, that's B-U-L-L. -L, and um, it's available in digital format if you have a digital reader. You can find used copies of it. There's a second edition now, but there's nothing wrong with the first edition. You know, much of the information is the same. 
I think even the public libraries have copies of them because often people, when they're done with the class, they donate them to the libraries. As the instructors, when we got the second edition books, we donated the first edition books to the libraries. So people may be able to find them in libraries as well. And uh, remind us again of the dates of the upcoming workshop and maybe for one last time for people who had to run and get a pencil, your phone number to get in. Sure. So the, the class starts October 17, which is a Monday, if I remember right. And it continues for six Mondays. And uh, again, my name is Charlie. My number is 707-472-7640. And in the 30 seconds or so we have left, you know, any closing thoughts that you would like to leave us with? Maybe some encouragement for people who are sort of on the edge now about whether they should participate. You know, the thing, the emotion that I am almost always left with at the end of a class is, is just the courage it takes when you're in chronic pain to be willing to come to a class and learn how to live with it in, in ways that allow you to be gentle on yourself. I, my, my heart goes out to people in chronic pain um, and I just honor and respect people who live with it. Well, thank you so much, Charlie Seltzer. You're welcome, for, Johanna. And also, Susan Era, for the two of you for leading these types of workshops, for offering them to our community for free. We want to reiterate again, there's no cost involved in taking these workshops, and the book is free as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Wild Oak Living this morning, and all the best. You are welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. You are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. And we just listened to an interview with Charlie Seltzer talking about an upcoming program, Living Healthy Living with Chronic Pain. If you would like more information about any of the topics or websites or phone numbers or links mentioned on Wild Oak Living, just send me an email and I'm happy to share that with you if you didn't have a pencil handy or if you were driving. My email is contact at wildoak.org. That's contact at wildoak.org. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Megan Barbara Allende and Meredith DeLucia from the Community Foundation of Mendocino County. And they're going to talk to us about what the Community Foundation did to support the community and especially nonprofits during the pandemic, what they've been up to since then, and what they're going to be doing in the future. So stay tuned for that.
Welcome to Wild of Living, Megan Barber Allende and Meredith DeLucia. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know this is a really busy time for you. You're about to publish your next annual report, and I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to join us to talk about what the Community Foundation is doing. We had a, we had you on, um, I think it was either late 2020 or early 2021, I'm trying to remember, and in the middle of the pandemic, when we talked about how your organization was supporting all these other organizations whose support fell away during or whose fundraising ability fell away during the pandemic. So I'm wondering if we could start out a bit perhaps by revisiting that and and, and how have things developed from there. First, you know, before we do that, talk just to give us a bit of background about the foundation and, and what you do. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having us, China. It's always a pleasure. Um, so I'm a little bit about the community foundation so we are sort of um your local uh, place that we sort of try very hard to build assets um forever for this community and we've been around just about 30 years which is pretty extraordinary um and at this time have uh assets in the neighborhood of you know like 47 million um which is extraordinary when you think about our county which only has 90,000 people in it that we have that much generosity um here in this community so uh that's a little bit about us uh from that side what we do is make a difference in the community um by giving grants and scholarships and uh, Meredith will talk a little bit more about that uh so so that's what we do and um during the fires and COVID uh our our business model shifted a little bit. Uh, initially, uh, you know, we took a much longer view um, and all of a sudden we were in times of disaster and it became really important to keep our money local. And that is what we did. And so don't really wanna talk about fires because you know, they're still hitting all of us and we're very close to um, the anniversary, but my heart goes out to all the survivors. But that was our sort of initial disaster response and then COVID happened. And on top of COVID, the Hopkins fire happened. And also August and Oak were in there as well. So, you know, it is important to, to talk about it because for some of our community members, they were hit hard and, and hit um, in two different ways. And so we did what we could. And um, in the end, we just um, kind of finalized our numbers for COVID. And we we raised and you know put out uh, 3.7 million dollars into the community, and I'm really proud of us. I'm proud of and appreciative of all our donors that made that happen, and that went out in a couple different areas. Hunger relief that was a big part of our job, and the county of Mendocino with their FEMA and ARPA and CalFresh dollars helped us do that. And I, and I want to make sure the community knows that. Um, we also did individual assistance at about 800,000, which helped people um, with rent mostly, but other things as well. And the part that, you know, we did a little business assistance as well. That wasn't as big a part of our work, but we did about $230,000 of that um, in partnership with West Business Development Center, who really took that issue and carried all of our uh, businesses through the pandemic. So, so deeply appreciative of them. And then we did some student relief our poor young people. They needed computers, they needed internet access, they, and mostly needed food. I, I wanna be honest about that. And our friends at Mendocino um, College Foundation helped a lot with the food pantry and giving out gift cards on our behalf. So all of that together gave us um, you know, that 3.7. 
million, but the piece I wanted to focus on is our nonprofit relief. Um, that was our own sector that we most had to care for because that's we're the ones in this community that take care of that sector and um, so deeply appreciate the work they do on a daily basis. And we did give out almost a million dollars over the two years uh, and helped 122 different nonprofits during that time. So huge effort. Um, they've been very grateful. Many of them have said we helped them get through it, especially our arts organizations who really couldn't, you know, they couldn't keep the doors open. Um, but we also touched everybody in the areas of just, they couldn't fundraise. They couldn't, you know, they just couldn't earn money the way they normally did. And so, I mean, they weren't huge amounts, but they were enough to pay some month's rent and kind of keep people going. They did have access to some other resources like the PPP loans and things, but we do feel like we made an important difference there. And um, I know one of the ones you wanted me to speak to was our friends at Newest Alliance at David Willits. Um, and we, we highlighted them in the annual report because what they did, they didn't just do their normal work. They did that. They take care of the Latinx population in Willits um, and in other parts of the county um, because the county of Mendocino um, has them to do a promotores program. But they they took that on. I mean, they it's extraordinary what they did. They created the ability to test and encourage folks to get vaccinated in their, their native languages and really just stepped up and did something that they don't normally do really, really well. And that is not only true of them. I still tell you, our senior centers also really changed how they did business. Um, and that was actually seen throughout the sector. But I did want to do a little shout out to our friends um, at Northern because It just, as we know, there were health disparities. The Latinos were really impacted and, and they showed incredible creativity, resiliency and passion for what they did. We really appreciate what they do and what what all the organizations that you support. I'm wondering if you could maybe have uh, another one or two e examples of of the kind of support that really made a difference for those organizations during during the pandemic. Well, as Gary, um, who runs the Willits Arts Center, Gary Martin, you know, he he this is a quote. He said, "Thanks to the nonprofit relief grants from the foundation, we were able to keep the rent paid and the organization." afloat during the pandemic. And they were very creative. They did, um, you know, because it's an art center, right? So they have shows and, but they did this really interesting um, series where they, you know, went on Zoom and had artists talk and um, we helped with that as well. And it was just, it was just a great way to keep people engaged with their work and help artists sort of make it through. Because, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was very discouraging when they didn't have those opportunities to um, share their art. Um, you know, I, I think the other one is, as I said about the senior centers, what they did that was so surprising, normally they do congregate dining like in the buildings, right? And they had to shift this model where they made the food and then people drove through and they handed food, you know, through the window. <laughs> and, you know, the one in, uh, out on the coast, the Redwood Coast Senior Center, they also like set up some places outside where people could come but be safe. Uh, they all got in a position where they did have to, um, you know, hire some staff because they couldn't use volunteers, which was also a theme across the uh, the field. Uh, right. Plowshares was one of them. You know, they they had to they had to get creative. But um, I admire Plowshares was never closed. Right? 
they took care of our homeless population and never closed. And, and I think that's quite remarkable too. Uh, so, you know, those are just a few examples. Um, I also was thinking just kind of somebody in the environment, that was another hard one, like uh, Woodlands uh, in, out on the coast, you know, they host students to come and have an outdoor science camp experience, which they couldn't do. And so they tried to create kits for families to come and walk in the woods and, and learn about nature, uh, which was, again, just creative. I, I, and, you know, I, it's, it's an incredibly resilient sector. I, I, and I, and honestly, all of us as residents wouldn't have made it through without these various organizations thinking outside the box and trying to figure out how can they help us because we needed them, all of us. I think that may have also been an opportunity for people to learn about all the many incredible nonprofit organizations we have in our county, right? Because perhaps before they didn't have a reason to interact with that sector. Absolutely. Yeah. And the one I didn't mention, and it's a network throughout, is the Family Resource Centers. Um, we have one in almost every community in the county. And they just, I mean, I'll never forget um, Jama Spence up from Laytonville. She wrote me one day um, and said, you know, I think we have to feed the seniors in our community. And can I get a couple hundred dollars? I think she asked me like for $150. I'm like, really? That's all you need? She's like, well, we're going to make soup and make bread. And we're like, gonna do, you know, I mean, here she is doing oh, so many other things, supporting folks that need, you know, government assistance, just taking care of youth. I mean, she was like worrying about everybody. And here she's making soup. So, I mean, they were just so resourceful. They ended up uh, pulling the Leightonville uh, food pantry into their sort of system. And I mean, I think originally they had like maybe numbers in the teens and she got, to, I don't remember, 50, 60 families coming through to get food. And that was true in Potter Valley as well. They said to me, you know, we have this set of families that we're worried about, could we get some money to buy groceries and make some bags to like, I don't remember if they took them to their homes or they came to the center, but that awareness that the family resource centers have of the basic needs of our community is extraordinary to me. Um, and we needed them. We needed them on the South Coast. They did um, some really interesting like well, one time they asked us for diapers, but then they also did some interesting kits that were getting out into the families. Um, you know, another idea that comes to me is Flockworks, uh, who's up in uh, Fort Bragg, um, and they made these like art packs for the elementary kids because teachers were teachers were trying their very best, but you know they don't have time to make art packs and make sure kids are doing creative activities at home. And Flockworks came in, and and the teachers were oh so grateful, and I'm sure the parents were too because those little guys. They need to be entertained and God knows it's better than TV, right? So um, I hope those are enough examples. I wanted to make sure we talked about our entire county, um, but it was, it was a county wide effort. And that's how it was different than the fires because the fires hit us in certain places. We could focus on one part of the county, but on these efforts, we had to go countywide. We thankfully have amazing partners who helped us help individuals, help businesses, help the nonprofits, but, you know, it was like, it was an intense experience because every county needed help. And um, that's another value of the foundation is that we are countywide. We think of the entire county. And um, I think we demonstrated that uh, through this effort. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, 
for outlining all the support that you provided to the community during the pandemic. I just want to reiterate, we're talking to Megan Barba Allende and Meredith DeLucia from the Community Foundation of Mendocino County. And perhaps we can turn to you, Meredith, and have you talk a bit about some of the programs and also the upcoming programs, the community uh, programs that people can uh, still get involved with. Okay. All right. Meredith, it, the stage is yours. Oh, thank you. Yes. So um, we just closed our field of interest grants, which has been really exciting. Um, we had eight different grant opportunities within that. Um, and among them would be one of the or actually top two that really stand out were community resiliency and preparedness, and also health and human services funds. We got a lot of requests in both of those categories. Um, and I think this kind of, especially the health and human services fund, um, it really, I think, highlights the need that we're seeing in our community now um, and just seeing how the basic needs are being met um, by all of our different organizations. So there's a lot of work to do in the community, and we know that our community partners are stepping up um, as they're applying for these grants. Um, and then the second one is the Community Resiliency and Preparedness Grant, and that's really around um, preparing our communities for natural disasters like wildfires and floods and all of these things that we just can't anticipate in the same sort of way um, anymore. So we've had a lot of interest in those two grant opportunities. Um, but we do have coming up the Community Enrichment Grant Program, um, and we are going to be launching that, I think, early next week, week right, Megan? Um, and that will be about $100,000 total that will be available. And the grant opportunities will be um, from about $3,000 all the way up to $7,500. Um, and that's really a broader scope for the grants. Um, those things that are not so specific like we had in the field of interest, but that give you know, our sense of community here something to look forward to, something to be enriching, as the title would in imply. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. and kind of still still working out the kinks and we'll get it up and launched shortly for our organizations. And Meredith, aren't you gonna go all around the county to make sure folks, you wanna say something about that just in case we have listeners that would curious? Yes, absolutely. So we are going to be doing a couple of different things um, if for folks who are interested in applying for the community enrichment grant. Um, and one of them is that we'll be doing office hours and those will be taking place around the county. Um, and we have you know, different dates and locations that I can absolutely send to you um, so that we can post them along with any of the content uh, for the show. Um, but those will be pretty much throughout October and then a little bit into November. And then we will have one um, Zoom opportunity as well for folks who didn't have a chance to come to our office hours and that will be recorded and we'll be posting that to our website as well. So if folks have questions about what are the grants um, or what can be covered in these grants, uh, what sorts of things don't qualify, how do I fill out the application, how do I even create a username, um, all of that stuff are, are the things that we can answer in the office hours and with the Zoom. And maybe this would be a good time also to mention that people can go to your website to find out more about your organization, right? You want to share that? Absolutely. So we, you can visit us at communityfound.org. Um, and that's found, like lost and found, not fund, um, which is a common thing that we, we find people are typing in. 
Um, and when you're there, you can go to I believe, the grants and scholarships and it will take you to the page with all of the grant opportunities that we currently have open. Do you want to add anything, Megan? No. And I just want to commend Meredith. She just joined our team in August and has done an extraordinary job getting in here, running one grant program and now layering another one on top of it. And we're so, so grateful because yeah, as we grow, we have more grant programs. Uh, and, you know, Joanna, you and I have done a show on sort of the role of the donor. But, you know, one of the things that will come up in the annual report is we have fun, new funds for animals. And Meredith is um, an animal lover herself, thank God, because she's like talked to all the animal organizations in the county right now to figure out how best is to create this new grant program that the donor asked us to do um, after he died. And so um, I just want to point that out because sometimes people don't know where the money comes from. Um, and it is, it's from individual donors that have helped create that, uh, you know, what we sometimes call a treasure chest from Mendocino County. And uh, this is one of those examples. Yeah, maybe this would be a good time to mention, you know, that, that something we've talked about before is people tend to have this preconception that in order to be set up a fund or to be a donor, you have to be enormously rich and donate a lot of money. And that is not the case with the Community Foundation. I just would like you to address that for a moment. Sure, yeah. So this grant program you just heard Meredith talk about, the Community Enrichment Grant Program. So that's funded by our Community Endowment Fund. And our Community Endowment Fund is an unrestricted fund that allows the Community Foundation to meet the most pressing need um, at any given year. And, you know, some years it was community gardens, you know, this year, I bet you will see, you know, a lot more basic services and things that, you know, we all think of as uh, like non-negotiable things we have to fund. Uh, so that fund has well over 400 donors. Some have given, you know, I don't know, 25, $100. And some have given gifts from their estates that, you know, were larger because, for many of us in Mendocino County, we don't have a lot of money in our lifetimes, but when we pass, if we want to give back to our community, it's an amazing way to do that. And we do have donors that have done that. And those, as for most of us, are those more sizable gifts, but that fund has just gifts of all sizes. Uh, as Meredith was talking about the field of interest funds, those were designed for lots of people to give to them. They weren't intended to be just for one person. Um, and, you know, we've had donors that were very clear about that. They don't put their name on it. They want it super clear that they like, for instance, the Environmental and Conservation Fund, they want lots of people to give to it either now or at their passing. So that's another way people can give. They can just be a part of a group of people. And when you do that, it doesn't matter how much you give. It just makes you a part of it. And, and that's really what we're striving for. This is a community foundation for the entire community. And we really have wanted to make it um, inclusive and available to everybody. And Megan, you mentioned you wanted to talk about DEI. Yeah, that's, you know, when you asked me, Donna, when you wanted us to come on, you said, you know, what have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> and on top of all the things we've talked about, it, you know, between COVID response and disaster response, um, the Community Foundation Board and staff have undergone a process where we've learned more about our community and, and most importantly, its roots. And, you know, through that work, and it was, it, it was hard work. I will not act like this was easy. It was quite challenging, um, but the board had a strong intention to, to grow and change. And through that, we did a lot of reading. We watched 
some movies. We had some consultants, not as many as some organizations because we um, were fortunate enough to have Michelle Rich on staff and she led a lot of this work. And we, we really challenged ourselves to grow. We're still growing. It's not done. I want to make sure everybody knows that. But the work we did in the past year, I'm very proud of. We have a new mission and vision. Uh, which will be showcased in the annual report. We have uh, a land acknowledgement that we worked with some of our Indigenous partners on, and I feel um, is, is very good. Could still have growth and change, but it's a really wonderful start. We articulated our values, um, and they are different. And I've been the CEO for six years, and I'll tell you, they're very different from when I first started. So um, some growth there. And lastly, we made an equity statement because we're really trying to drive our work from that place. So all of those will be showcased in the annual report, also on the website. And please know everybody, if you want to read the annual report, it will be there in about a month. Um, and you can, you can look at it online. And if you want to, for any reason, want a printed copy, just let us know. We'll happily mail you one. And lastly, we did some hard work on a policy, a diversity, equity, inclusion policy. And one thing about community foundations is we have a lot of policies. <laughs> um, we are governed by um, the national standards process. We get accredited every three years and we do have to have policy guiding our work in all parts of the business. And uh, while this is not a requirement yet, I think it will be. And we wanted to make sure we uh, created a guiding document, which then will lead our work in all parts of our business. It's not just for one thing, it's all parts of the business. And that was the other thing that came out of the board's work was this isn't just a, a, a sliver of what we do. We need to bring it into everything. So we've started in our investments. Uh, you're going to work on it from an internal perspective, especially um, looking for implicit uh, bias in our scholarship program selection, in our grant making. We are going to do our best to hire a diverse staff. Uh, so all those things. But again, this is long term work. But I feel like we've really made a good start in the past year. And I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm glad that you asked me. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, the future direction and the and the the evolution of the Community Foundation in the in that direction. Uh, we have about three minutes left, three and a half minutes left, and I would like to invite you, each of you, to leave us with some closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with and also maybe offer your website and contact information again. Okay, what are my closing thoughts? Uh, well, I'm just deeply proud of this county. I'm deeply proud of all of us for um, making it through the pandemic. I know it's not over, but I do feel like we made it some really hard times. I'm, I'm grateful to live in a county where people are generous and care about each other and donate their time to our nonprofits because I didn't talk about that, but they do not function without volunteers. And I'm grateful for those folks. I'm grateful for all the donors that came in and cared about their neighbors. And I will tell you, some people, honest to God, donated their stimulus checks. They did not need them. And the first thing they thought of was their neighbor and wanted to make sure folks really needed it, got it. Uh, and that's just one example of generosity. I saw so much of it. And I, I just, I'm really honored to live here. Mary Lucia. I think one of the things that's really prominent to me, especially starting out in this organization, is just what I think is not apparent probably to the average person in Mendocino County is just how amazing this county is um, in terms of its organizations. 
there's so much behind the scenes work to make everything run. Um, and it's, it, the work that people are doing is so interesting and innovative in all these different ways that you might not normally pick up on. And I just really encourage folks to get involved in the community, whether that's coming through to the community foundation, learning a little bit more about our programs or um, just exploring what's happening in your local community, because there's some really awesome work that's happening. Our um, website again, it's the www.communityfound. I like how Meredith said that, found, lost and found, <laughs> dot org. Uh, and of course, our phone over here is 707-468-9882. Uh, we welcome calls and we'll help you in any way we can. And as I said, uh, we will have that annual report uh, published early next month and really would love folks to, to take a look at it and just and really appreciate what we all did together. And there'll Thank be information so about the about community interest grants and how people can apply for it will be on that website as well. I like to think of your website as found community, you know, oh. I found <laughs> community found. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I always thought that was a really, a really cool website name. Well, I like it because sometimes I think we need to change it because it's kind of hard for people. So I love, I love your vision of it, Johanna. And it, it's always wonderful to be on your show because I know it's all about community and you're trying to help folks understand how, how, how it operates, how they can get engaged. And um, we are, we are totally in alignment with you. Well, thank you so much. And I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you for taking the time. I know this is a very busy time for you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All the best. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Megan Barbara Allende and Meredith DeLucia from the Community Foundation of Mendocino County. As Meredith mentioned in her interview, the Community Foundation did develop a new vision statement, a new mission statement, and also a value statement. Since the annual report isn't going to be available for a couple of weeks, I would love to share with you what the new mission statement for the Community Foundation is, as along with their vision statement and their value statement, because it also includes an emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so in the few moments that we have on this program, I would just like to share with you that information. So the new mission statement for the Community Foundation is, we inspire and steward generosity to foster vibrant, inclusive, and healthy communities throughout Mendocino County. And their new vision statement is, we envision a thriving, equitable Mendocino County that is resilient, where every resident can learn, create, contribute, prosper, and reach their full potential. And then here comes the list of value statements. So the values are stewardship. We are thoughtful and responsible fiduciaries of the assets under our care. Integrity. We are reliable and trustworthy and conduct our business with transparency. Inclusivity. We engage people of diverse lived experiences in our work and use equity as a driving force in our governance and business practices. Leadership. We take initiative and inspire new ideas and programs to transform our communities. Responsiveness. We listen and are nimble in response to community needs. And lastly, innovation. We adapt to change, embrace creativity, and advance resourceful solutions. So that is the uh, new vision statement 
mission statement and value statement for the Community Foundation of Mendocino County. I hope you enjoyed this program of Wild Oak Living. If you have any feedback to share with me or questions or suggestions for future program topics, please send me an email. My email address is contact at wildoak.org. That's W-I-L-D-O-A-K dot O-R-G. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.